Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Once again, if you're just jumping on, my name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at New City. It is so awesome to be with you here this morning. Just want to wish you one more time. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. What an exciting day it is. What an important day it is. If you are joining with us for the first or the second time here online, just want to say welcome one more time. And a New City Church family, man, I miss you guys so much. I miss being together so much. Um, I love you guys, and I cannot wait until we can do this all together in person. But by God's good grace, we get to continue to open his word and pray and worship together, even online. And so let's continue now by going to the book of Matthew 28. If you have a Bible with you this morning, let me ask you to flip to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be starting in verse 1, and we're going to cover all of Matthew chapter 28, which is one of four gospels that tells us the entire story of the resurrection and the implications um, of the resurrection. This morning, we're actually finishing a series that we've entitled From Death to Life. And we can understand how now we've, we've ultimately reached this moment of life, life abundant. Um, guys, it's, it's an important time, clearly, because of Easter, but also because of the circumstances that surround us that everybody already knows. Um, I cannot claim, as a human being, let alone as a pastor, I can't claim to know exactly what God is doing um, or why he is doing it. All that I know is what I hear and see in the word of God. And what the word of God tells me is that God is good and that he is in control. And so I trust him uh, in those circumstances. Um, but I gotta believe that God is using these circumstances to call all of us, believer, seeker, all of us to pay attention to pay attention to the fact that, that God would choose in his good mercy to allow something like COVID-19 to literally cause the world to stop at the same time as the world gathers to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of God. You know, maybe God is saying, you know, if you want to worship sports and sports celebrities and, and athletics, boom, it's gone. Maybe God is saying, you know, if you want to worship Hollywood and actors and actresses and all those things going on, boom, it's gone. Maybe God is saying to you, you know, if you want to worship your, your salary, money, um, a particular job, a particular set of circumstances, even relationships, boom, in a moment, God has made almost all of it around the world stop. And I believe what God would continue to do through his word is call us to stop and to recognize is that the Bible tells us that there is one overriding historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of God, that changes everything and everything else that we might focus our time and attention on ought to be put aside for us to respond, even this morning to respond afresh to the good news of the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me take just a moment once again. Let me open in prayer as we go to God's word in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that even now that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to see, to hear, and to believe your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for Jesus' death and we thank you for his resurrection, Lord. Give us ears to hear your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three applications this morning that I want to share with you from God's word. The first application is this. Jesus is alive and resurrected from the dead. Just that fact. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read the first seven verses that tell us this incredible historical fact. Now, after the Sabbath, 
Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. It's now Sunday morning. It's about dawn. Two of Jesus' uh, extended disciples, Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus, have already wrapped Jesus' body in linens and placed his body in the tomb. But now, a group of women that, that includes at least Mary Magdalene and the other Mary comes to anoint Jesus' body in final preparation for this permanent burial. You know, it's amazing to me. Jesus' followers should have paid more attention to the words of Jesus, but they didn't understand yet fully. Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection many times in all four of the gospels. Most recently in the book of Matthew, in chapter 16 and in 17, Jesus says this, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And yet, not even Jesus' followers, his closest followers were truly expecting or prepared for the resurrection. It is so amazing, such a mind-boggling miracle. And it begins here. It says, the scripture says, suddenly there was a violent earthquake. I love this. You know, if we look at Old and New Testament, so many times the words of God are accompanied by a literal shaking of the earth. We have this in Mount Sinai and Moses in the Old Testament. We see this when God speaks verbally to Elijah. We see this when God speaks to prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. We see it reflected upon in places like the Psalms and in Revelation that the earth shakes. And here we see a little bit earlier too that um, there was an earthquake even at Jesus' death on Good Friday. So now there's an angel and the angel descends from heaven. It says that his appearance was like lightning as the earth shook. Have you ever been around, I mean like really been around a direct lightning strike? Um, I remember my, my best or worst um, experience as an elementary student at Turner Elementary right here in Palm Bay when the flagpole got struck as all of the kids were exiting at the end of the day from school. There was just this massive flash of, of blinding light. And at the same exact moment, this crack, this loud crack of thunder that literally caused all of us as kids just to fall back. And there's that moment where you can't quite see and you can't quite hear. And as I sort of recovered from that moment, I just remember being overwhelmed as I saw just hundreds of kids sprinting, running away from the flagpole and trying to go back into the building. What a terrifying moment. There's a reason that the women and there's a reason that the, the soldiers are going to be terrified by this crazy thing. The angel shows up. Next, the angel pushes the stone over and sits on it to show us that God is powerful, that he has conquered 
sin and death. He has conquered this stone. He sits on it in triumph. You know, it's important to recognize here that the angel didn't move the stone because Jesus needed help getting out, right? The angel moved the stone so that the women, so that the disciples who came back to see, so that they could be enabled to see the empty tomb. You know, it it reminds us to think in terms of, Lord, would, would you roll away every stone? Father, would you remove any rock of distraction? Would you pull out of me any hard heartedness in my heart that would keep me from seeing and believing the truth of Jesus' empty tomb? Lord, open our eyes to see your power just like they saw the lightning come from the heavens. Again, the soldiers, they were afraid as as they ought to have been afraid. It says, scripture says they became like dead men. You know, Psalm 46 verse 6 speaks to this. The, the Psalm says, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fail. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. You know, the enemies of God thought that their plans were secure, but they were wrong. Here they were frozen in fear and shock, powerless as if dead. When they regained consciousness, they scattered in terror. And like, like little children in front of a lightning strike, they run away. You know, it's clear from the scripture that really only a few of them are ever even going to go and report to the chief priests what they have seen and experienced. But look what the angel does. To, to the women, the angel of God says this, do not be afraid. You know, if, if any of you have watched the news at any time in, in the last month, guys, let me point out to you that more important than the words of any news broadcast, the words of any man are the words of God the Father when he says, do not be afraid. Because the next words that God says through the angels are this, he is not here. He has risen from the dead. The word that matters is the word of God. And we're told in the word of God that the Father and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus back to life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, we're also told specifically in John 10, 18, that Jesus, the Son of God, took back his life because he himself had voluntarily laid it down three days earlier on Good Friday. You know, uh, in Jerusalem, there are actually two locations that scholars are pretty confident that one of these two locations is the actual location where Jesus' body was buried. Um, I've never been there. I've never gotten to see that. I, I hope to one day. But I can tell you with confidence that every single person that has visited these historical sites, not one of them has seen Jesus' body. Not one of them. You know, the, the empty tomb is probably the single greatest piece of evidence that the resurrection is true and historical fact because producing the body of Jesus at any time would have been the single easiest way to immediately stop this worldwide movement called Christianity, called followers of Jesus Christ who believe that he is alive. Just a few years after this moment takes place, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is written about 50 AD, which is 17 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that after the resurrection of Jesus, that he himself 
appeared to over 500 people that are eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And by the time it's being written, it says, and many of them are still alive. You know, if you wrestle with this particular part of how can I, how can I trust the word of God that what it's telling me is true, I want to invite you back next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'll be preaching a sermon from this text from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 entitled, Why I Choose to Believe the Bible. So I want to invite you back for that. But in the meantime, what I want you to see is that this Christian movement spread throughout the world like wildfire by a group of people who have no resources of any sort, but they are compelled by the truth of God's word. And they are compelled by the fact that they have seen and they have heard of the resurrection of Jesus and they believe that he is alive. And that evidence moves them forward. You know, those believers themselves are another piece of evidence because those people were willing from the beginning to be tortured and even killed because they refused to deny that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the question that Matthew and the other three gospels demand is this. What are you going to do with this information? The people in this passage show us that the resurrection demands a response. Number two, point number two, the resurrection demands a response. Let's go back to the scriptures now. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 8 through 17 and see the responses of specific people to the resurrection. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while, he was, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. First, we see the women, and these women respond with fear and joy. You know, the women are fearful. They've seen the exact same things that the soldiers did, and they're terrified, just like those kids running away from the lightning. But the Bible says specifically that they were filled with great joy, but not with great fear. They respond in obedience. They run to go tell the other disciples just as the angel had instructed them. And Jesus then meets them bodily on the way. And they respond to seeing Jesus physically alive, risen from the dead by worshiping him. That is our call. See, their joy as believers was greater than their fear. See, here's the reality, guys. The empty tomb of Jesus means that guilt does not have the final word in their lives or in our lives. The reality of the empty tomb means that our sin does not have the final word in our lives. 
the reality of the empty tomb means that Satan, the accuser, does not have the final word in our lives. It means that sickness and death no longer have the final word in our lives. Jesus' resurrection and the word of God has the final word. And so people of God, as you, as you face multitudes of trials of various kind, remember that we can respond in joyful worship rather than in fear or even worry. It calls us here too to respond with joyful obedience, saying, wherever Jesus sends me, there I will go. Then we see the soldiers, a different response. The soldiers respond with fear, but also with deception. These soldiers saw the same things that the women did, but they didn't respond. This is important. We've got to think about ourselves here because the distractions and the comforts of this life kept them from considering spiritual and eternal matters. See, the women were on their way to tell the good news of the resurrection, but the soldiers were on their way to be bribed. They reported to the, the Sanhedrin, which is just this body of, of chief priests who had earlier orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion. They hold sort of an emergency meeting to decide what to do. And what they decide is threefold. They decide to pay the soldiers to lie, to claim that they slept through everything, and that the disciples stole Jesus' body. You know, even though these soldiers saw the evidence of the resurrection, they were afraid of what it would cost them. They literally are afraid of losing money. And so they deny what they saw with their eyes, what they heard with their ears, what they experienced, what they knew to be true. Then we see the chief priests. The chief priests also are gonna respond with their own form of denial. You know, when I think about the chief priests, I think these guys represent for us people that, that probably know the truth of the resurrection or, or at least they suspect that Jesus really is who he says he is, but they come up with reasons not to believe because they don't like what it means if Jesus' resurrection is true. See, if Jesus rose from the dead, it means that he's Lord. It means that he is God. It means that Jesus is Lord and you are not. It means his word has all authority. It means his way is the only way. It means that God may be doing things even now in this world that you don't like, that make you angry, but it means that we have to trust him. That's what the resurrection means for us. You know, what, what astounds me is nowhere in scripture does it say that the Sanhedrin or the chief priests, nowhere does it say that they didn't believe the report brought by the soldiers. What this is, is willful disbelief. And guys, we know that these exact same lies continue forward from the day that they were written and orchestrated and put out there until today. The first of the most common two lies is just that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. And this claim basically says that all the Roman soldiers fell asleep and somehow remained asleep through the whole process while a band of terrified disciples who had already run away from Jesus at the very beginning show up, move the stone, carry out the body. Roman soldiers, guys, you had one job. You blew it. You literally just had to guard the single most important thing going on in the known world and you couldn't do it. 
But another question we could ask is this, how do you know, Roman soldiers, that that's what happened if you were asleep the whole time? You know, the second most common lie that we hear is, is the one that says, well, Jesus didn't really die. And the claim there is, is literally that Jesus was flogged, Jesus was beaten and tortured, nailed to a cross, a slow and painful death in which eventually a crucified person like Jesus would die of asphyxiation. We know from the scripture that Jesus himself said, I give up my life, and then he died. And after his death on the cross, we're told that the soldiers stabbed him with a spear in his side to further verify that he was in fact dead. We're told that outflowed blood and water, which in modern times we understand is a medical fact that referred to the evidence of what's called hypovolemic shock. But this same theory goes on to say that not only did Jesus survive all those things, but then Jesus stayed in a tomb for three days with no medical attention, no food, no water of any kind. And then the disciples show up, overpower the Roman guards, and they all run away and are never found. Those are your best two options if you reject the resurrection of Jesus. But here's a better one. The faith of the believer. He lives and because he lives, I can live forever as well. That is the reality. And finally, what we see is the response of the disciples who are living out this same truth. Because the disciples' response is this. They worshiped through their doubts. They worshiped through their doubts. The 11 disciples went to Galilee where Jesus had already promised to meet them. You know, what must have been the chatter on, on the car ride over there to Galilee? It's, it, it's just so encouraging to me to think about the fact that here we see once again that doubt, guys, is a normal part of the believer's experience. Of course, we are going to struggle from time to time in different ways, doubting, is God really as good as he says he is? Is he in control like he says he is? Can he really do the things that he has promised? These disciples experienced that. But from the beginning, even as they wrestled and struggled in their understanding, even as they struggled in, in believing, you see the patience and the forgiveness of God, of Jesus, that those who come in genuine faith, even though you stumble, even though you struggle, God is patient, drawing you in, reminding you that his word is true. There is no better place in all of scripture than we see this than in the life of Thomas, one of the disciples remembered forever now as doubting Thomas. Look at his story and the way that Jesus responds to Thomas's doubts. This is John chapter 20. And I want to take a second and read this. This is verse 26 through 29. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. This is God, y'all, and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus demands a response. When Thomas saw, he responded. And the question for us today is, will your response be like the soldiers and the Sanhedrin? Or will your response be like the women and the other disciples? 
even this morning, guys, if you don't know Jesus personally as your Lord and as your risen Savior, you can talk to God. You can cry out to Him. You can offer up a prayer that sounds a little something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has separated me from relationship with God the Father. I know that my sin is not a small deal. My sin is cosmic treason against the creator and sustainer of the universe. It's so serious that the payment for my sin is death. And so God, I come and I just admit that I'm a sinner and I need your grace. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. And I accept, I receive your free gift of salvation. There's nothing that I can do to earn your favor. All I do is cling to your grace and your promises. And Lord Jesus, I take myself off the throne of my life and I make you Lord and King of my life today. God, would you help me? Even as I struggle, even as I wrestle with doubts, would you help me to trust in you more and more day by day? If that's a prayer that you have, have prayed, or if you want to hear more, if you want to know more, if you're on Facebook this morning, I want to tell you there is a button on the very front of our Facebook page that says send email. If you hit that button, let me know this morning that you have more questions or you'd like to pray together or you'd like to get into a Bible study. Let us know. We would love to connect with you even during this crazy time and share more with you about the good news of the gospel. But church, there's one more thing for us to take away this morning. That's point number three. And this is the end of this powerful passage. The resurrection calls believers to the mission. The resurrection calls believers to the mission. Let's read verses 18 through 20. Powerful words known as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus here gives us a, a great claim, a great commission, and a great comfort. His claim is clear. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, does this mean that he didn't have authority prior to his death and resurrection? Well, we know that that's not the case because he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He healed the sick woman. He raised Lazarus back to life. The difference between then and now is simply this. Before his own resurrection, he would tell the people that he had healed very often not to declare that good news publicly, not yet. But now his instruction here forevermore is that we as believers would proclaim everywhere to all people that Jesus has died once for all and risen from the dead and conquered death. And that at the end of the age, that he will raise all the dead to life, some to everlasting judgment and some to eternal life. And so with that great claim comes then a great co-mission that we join in God's mission, that we are called to be a part of God's work. You know, in verse six of this passage, Jesus told Mary that he was going to Galilee. And going to Galilee throughout the scripture symbolizes this reality of the whole world. You know, in Matthew here, Jesus is going to Galilee, which is an indication that he is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, 
all people. Jesus is going to Galilee. Jesus is going to the whole world and that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Acts 1.8 says from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, God's plan from the beginning was that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection to save sinners like you and me would go to the whole world. Believer, we have been called to be a part of this mission. And we're given not just the commission, go therefore, make disciples in every nation, every corner of the earth, but we're given the great comfort. Jesus says, I am with you. I'm with you day in and day out. Behold, I am with you always, he says, even to the very end of the age. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day to respond to the resurrection. And guys, wherever you may find yourself in your journey, a day of faith or a day of doubt, return to the Lord, trust in him. His ways are good. Jesus has promised he is with you always. Amen. Let's take a minute and let's pray and respond to God's word together even now. Father in heaven, Lord, you are so good. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. God, we thank you that he was not left there, but he resurrected from the dead. You are a God who has conquered sin and Satan and death. And Father, on this day of days, Lord, we rejoice in the good and powerful news of the gospel. God, we pray for all those who have not bowed the knee to King Jesus, that even this morning, Lord, that they might repent and turn from their sins and turn to the face of Jesus, Lord. You have offered a free gift. And so, Father, I pray for all those that are listening this morning, Lord, that they might come to you even today in faith and in trust, that they might step forward. God, I pray for your people that you would continue to comfort us. Lord, remind us of your great comfort, Lord, that you are with us always. Lord, call us afresh into the mission, regardless of circumstances, to share the good news of Jesus who is alive, who is resurrected forever and ever. Amen.